Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. We're walking you through the flames. This week, the focus is the U.S. Supreme Court. President Donald Trump's nominee, Judge Brett Kavanaugh, will go before the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee on Tuesday. The Republicans are basically going to give some speeches about, you are so awesome. And the Democrats are going to be asking some hard-hitting questions. But with the Russian investigation heating up, some ask, is Kavanaugh President Trump's get-out-of-jail-free card? For Democrats, this is a consequence of the last election. What citizens should be looking for during the hearings and the predictions on what the rulings will look like beginning this term. When a New Jersey dad got good news about his baby's cancer diagnosis, he started to dance. And a video of the moment went viral. People are being inspired. The wave of goodwill that followed and the big names behind it all. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. Flashpoint podcast where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus this week is President Donald Trump's nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court. Confirmation hearings for Judge Brett Kavanaugh are set to begin on Tuesday before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Kavanaugh has the pedigree to be a judge on the highest court. He's Yale and Yale law educated and was a clerk to now retired Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kenny, but many liberals fear his confirmation will cause the court to lean too far right. The upcoming hearing has brought protest. Women's groups fear a rollback of abortion rights. Abortion would be criminalized and women would be punished. Democrats have threatened to stall the hearings, but what are the politics of this court appointment? And what should Americans be focused on as this freight train moves forward? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Larry Seisler of Seisler Media and Issue Advocacy. We also have Lisa Tucker. She's a Supreme Court expert and an associate professor of law at Drexel University. And on the phone, we have Linda Dale Hoffa. She's a partner at Dilworth Paxson Law Firm here in Philadelphia. She also served on the Senate Judiciary Committee for two years. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Lisa, I want to start with you. Confirmation hearings are slated to start in just a few days. Lay the groundwork for what's already happened leading to the actual beginning of the hearings. Well, first of all, they had to select Kavanaugh as the nominee, and there have been lots of stories going around about how exactly that happened. Certainly, he's been grooming himself from a very young age. There are a lot of Washington insiders who say, you know, he has kept his nose clean because he always wanted to be on the Supreme Court. There are also rumors that a deal was made with Anthony Kennedy for him to step down in order for Kavanaugh to be appointed, and then that was the condition of Kennedy's retirement. But once he was nominated, um, he would, two things would have been happening simultaneously. The first thing would have been that he would have been going around and meeting the senators on the Hill. Mm-hmm. These are the people who will be voting on him. Um, and then the second thing that would be happening would be that the White House would be prepping him extensively, thinking of every question, particularly hostile questions he might be asked during the hearings, and prepping him with answers for those questions, as well as demeanor, as well as, you know, how to sort of dodge a question if you need to. Um, so all of that would have been going fast and furious over the last several days. Yeah. And or so the last several weeks, rather. Yeah. And we're leading up to the big start of it um, on September 4th. And so, um, Larry, I mean, politically, we've heard Democrats threatening to stop uh, or at least stall the confirmation hearing. What have you been hearing and what's sort of the logic and political uh, rankling behind it? Well, I think there's there's a lot of talk, but there's nothing they can do. I mean, the fact is that the Republicans control the Senate and they control the process. So if Senator McConnell wants and Senator Grassley want to move the nomination, they're going to move the nomination. And if they can hold the Republican senators in line, um, Judge Kavanaugh is going to become Justice Kavanaugh. But, you know, there's a lot of politics to it because people are playing to their their base or people wanting to run for president or trying to rev 
rev rev things up. Mm-hmm. Um, so for you know, so for Democrats, I I think really there's a couple questions. Number one, you have you have several Democrats who are in states that um, Trump won when he won the presidency, and these Democrats are up for reelection, and they have to decide how they're going to vote because it might affect their their reelection. So it's it's a it's a simple calculus. Do you vote your conscience or do you vo- do a safe vote? Vote for the nomination because the person's going to be confirmed, and then you know basically live live to fight another another day. Linda, I, I want to talk about this issue of Kavanaugh because he was chosen for a very specific reason. He indicated some things about his position on whether a sitting president should be indicted, and now we currently have a major investigation of Russian interference in, in an election that involves our president Donald Trump. Talk about Kavanaugh's background and that and and how you see it fitting into this confirmation hearing. Well, what's fascinating about this candidate is that he was uh, a counsel to Ken Starr, who was independent counsel investigating Bill Clinton. And back at that time, uh, Brett Kavanaugh had written that Clinton could be impeached for misleading the public. But I think since that time, he has walked it back with regard to this issue of limitations on executive power by criminal investigations and Mm -hmm. criminal prosecutions, such that in a law review article, and also speaking at Georgetown, Law Review. He has said now that he's changed and he has very serious questions whether or not a president can and should be investigated and or prosecuted while he or she is sitting as president. His reasons for that is, he says, that this tremendously interferes with one's ability to be effective in their job. And so therefore, uh, he seems to have very much changed a position that he had early on in his career when he was working with Ken star. And that is incredibly timely with regard to the fact that Mm. Michael Cohen, the president's personal attorney, pled guilty to campaign violations law, as well as to other federal offenses. And in those charges that Cohen pled guilty, he said that he was directed to do those criminal acts. In essence, it is almost as though that the president could be an unindicted co-conspirator for those criminal actions. So did, did, so therefore, if you have a candidate who now says, I don't think that a president should be investigated, let alone prosecuted, you can see how timely an issue this is. You hear in this, Lisa, I mean, is Kavanaugh basically Trump's Get out of jail free card. I think that Trump was very aware of that, as was the Federalist Society, which is a group of conservative lawyers, law students, judges across the country who have been working very, very hard to change the landscape of the federal judiciary to get more conservatives um, in those seats. And it's really interesting because there are lots of terms that we use for this. Linda was saying candidate. Mm. Larry was saying nominee. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so fascinating because it has become such a political process, as I know that Larry talks about. Of course, these people aren't actually elected, but at this point, they almost are. And I think one note that we need to make is um, Larry was talking about voting along party lines, the Republicans backing the president on this nominee, and the Democrats perhaps voting as as a block. But with the death of John McCain, that became more complicated Mm -hmm. because John McCain was not voting and therefore the Republicans only had 50 people voting. The Democrats had 49. And so if you could flip one Republican, all of a sudden you had a Democratic majority against Kavanaugh. But with McCain's death, the Republican governor of Arizona is actually mandated to um, put in in this seat a Republican person to serve out the next two years of McCain's term. And therefore, now the Republicans have 51. In order to flip it, they would have to have two Republicans defect. That is drama. That is drama. (laughs) Larry, that's drama, man. Well, the Supreme Court, there's been a lot of drama, you know, over the last – 20 years. It's all politics. And it's about, you know, playing, you know, playing to their bases. You know, remember, it didn't used to be that a simple majority would get a Supreme Court nominee, you know, nominee confirmed. So that that's where we're at now. And Larry, I want to just go in a little bit deeper for you, because Kavanaugh had I mean, it was very political, his selection, because a lot of Republicans cannot stand Trump. But they chose someone who with a very close ties to the Bushes. Well, he's a main he's a mainstream and Republican. he's a mainstream he's then. a mainstream Republican pick. I, I don't think it would make any difference who 
the Republican president would have been. Not that they would have picked Kavanaugh, but they would have picked somebody like like Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these, you know, it's it's a trite term, but there are consequences of elections. And for Democrats, this is a consequence of, of the last election. And Linda, there has been a new wrinkle within this whole, and you sat on the Judiciary Committee, uh, yes. the Senate Judiciary Committee for two years. There's a new, there's a request now to to postpone this hearing for a time. I mean, will it stick? Senator Dianne Feinstein is the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and she wrote to the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee a letter. And in that, she basically is asking them to put off the confirmation hearing that is now scheduled for September 4th. And she specifically says in her letter, in light of Michael Cohen's guilty plea, she says that this should give pause to all senators. So she's asking that it just be put off and that they have, instead of this confirmation hearing, that they have a meeting. But I think that that is really unlikely to succeed at all, given that the majority is Republican and that Senator Grassley is the chair. He controls what happens on the floor, and he can simply say, thank you so much, Senator Feinstein, for your letter, but we're not doing it, and we're moving forward. You get to the September 4th, uh, and it starts. What are people looking at? Because it sounds like to me, if everybody's saying this is all decided, what are we looking at then? Well, I think what we're looking at during this confirmation hearing is to judge uh, this candidate's temperament and his intelligence and what his qualifications are for the job. Unless there's going to be some unbelievable revelation, like a Me Too revelation, like there was with uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, Mm. or that there is a very bad uh, public impression that's made, as happened with Robert Bork, I think it's very likely that it's going to go forward and that he's going to be confirmed. And uh, that's probably what I've read the plurality of voters want to have happen. Um, Lisa, this will be the second Kennedy clerk that will be on the court because Neil Gorsuch mm-hmm. also clerked for Justice Kennedy. And so Justice Kennedy steps off another one of his legacies is going to possibly be on the court. When you think about the court, do you think either one of them will then fill this swing vote role? And what should people be looking at to try to find some balance in the court? Yeah, no, it's not really going to be a swing vote role. You know, to take off on what Linda was saying and and a slight bit of respectful disagreement there, Linda was saying we're going to be looking at qualifications and demeanor and temperament. They picked somebody, as I said before, who's squeaky clean. He presents really well. Everyone likes Brett Kavanaugh. And that's why we've been hearing so much about like he's the carpool dad. You know, everybody likes Brett Kavanaugh. Mom was a prosecutor. Wife was a secretary for Bush. Bush, yeah. And um, and he knows what he's doing and he's very, very smart. There's absolutely no doubt that this guy is qualified. So all this is is a show for constituents. What they're going to do is the Republicans are going to put him up. They're going to he's going to be on, you know, the seat where they sit and they testify or they they answer questions. And the Republicans are basically going to give some speeches about you are so awesome and we're so (laughs) glad to have you here. And the Democrats are going to be asking some hard hitting questions. You know, something that's interesting is that last week he went on record as saying that Roe v. Wade is settled law. And I think that's very comforting to a lot of people Mm -hmm. who don't really know too much about the Supreme Court. That actually means absolutely nothing because it was settled by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court can reverse course. All that means is it's settled for right now until Brett Kavanaugh gets in that seat. And and I thought politically uh, he did something that was interesting when he accepted his nomination. Uh, He had a long discussion about his mother and his daughters and his wife. And, and and tried to talk about the history of the women that influenced him, and when women, world yes, series, yes, and, was, and the yeah. women, and I mean, like if you think about this politically, the women's issues are the ones that many say are most threatened. Larry, oh sure, I mean, so they're they're playing to you know a certain demographic, and again, he passes that litmus test. The way it used to be was the president would nominate somebody, and if they had the requisite credentials and temperament or whatever, they got through. I mean, and it used to be that people on both sides of the aisle, for the most part, you know, they voted, they voted for them. But I mean, I I think what you're going to see here is it's how much acrimony is there going to be with the, with the Democrats in terms of putting ads out there. And, and, and politically, the problem with this is you can't win, right? You can't win for the Democrats. Kavanaugh is going to be confirmed. So 
by making this very acrimonious, is it going to rev up the GOP base to come out and vote in the midterms? You know, it's very interesting. Republicans care about judges. They do. They, you know, you know, if you do all this polling and, and whatever, mm-hmm. they'll show it's one of their top issues. So, you know, filling the district courts, filling the appeals courts, Supreme Court. Democrats, that's not their thing. For the, for the, but they're the quick part. to run the court, though. Right. You right. know, civil rights groups, that's how they get most of their steps forward is in the courts. Right. But it's it's just always been a, a major divide in mm. terms of the priority of the two parties. So I think there's a lot of Democrat, Democratic strategists who just don't want to see this thing get, get too hot. But, do, but could that backfire and could the Democrat, the liberal base then get pissed off and say the, well, the, the Democrats are being punks in, in, in the Senate and they're not fighting hard enough? Well, that that's the problem. One reason Hillary Clinton lost was because she didn't get enough turnout from that, you know, progressive, you know, that progressive mm-hmm. base. Right. If these people are looking, you know, they want the Democrats to fight. Fight, fight, fight. They don't think they're fighting hard enough. Could that affect turnout, you know, in in November? And I, and I think that's what that's what people are wrestling with. And that's a delicate but, balance. But as, you, as you suggested, Larry, it's a double-edged sword. If they fight too hard, that will empower and energize the Republican base, right? Right. right. And, uh, and if they don't fight enough, then their own party will give up on them. Their own voters will give up on them. Right. This is really more about the Democrats than than the Republicans in terms in terms of what the fight is. And so on the other hand, you you realize how important it is to the Republican Party to get this confirmation through before the midterm elections. Right. Right. Because if they don't, then who knows what will happen in the Senate and could very well then not be as as easy a a win. But they want to get it. They want to get it through, you know, before the midterms. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously the senators will still, you know, be there you know, until, you know, until January. Yeah. And, and, and the conservative base is very appreciative of the fact that President Trump has given them candidates that are, and this is not just in the Supreme Court, but also the Court of Appeals and in the District Court, that uh, the conservatives are very happy with because they've all been vetted by the Federalist Society. And right now, Trump is winning with his base when it comes to the court issue. Oh, yeah, because, because you know what? Because he's delivered on the courts. And, and, what, they, and what they've done is if you're 50 years old, you could be a bedrock conservative. You're too old. They have criteria. They want young. They want young people on the court. They have a whole farm system going. That's mm-hmm. you know that's what that's what they have. They and have they, their folks about. It's yeah. a, it's a system. It's a well, system. we should say that Kavanaugh is 53, so he's really like over the hill, very <laughs> much so. Yeah. Um, and you know, look how pres- how well he presented with those really little kids he had, right? Mm-hmm. Those two little girls. I'm gonna be around for a long time, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons that this process has become so political, because um, justices started living and serving longer, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we had these justices who were on the bench for 25 years. 30 years and not going anywhere. Hold and it down in their 80s. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. You know, and sharp as a tap. Yeah. And so the both political parties started to realize, wow, if we can get somebody on that court and they're pretty young, then we can hold that seat and make a lot of law yeah. over three generations, really, yeah. or I guess two generations. And and that's a really big deal because the law outlasts even those justices. It gets carried forward. But, I mean, if you think about it, we we brought this issue up a little bit, and, and anybody can weigh in on this. I mean, we've only seen in recent years a court that had, you know, swing. You know, we, one person, you know, Kennedy was swing from one to the next. We never – now that is going to be different. It is going and, to be and so very talk different. about this issue. I don't think people in modern day have seen that in the past couple of decades, where we've had you know seven you know seven justices agreeing um, and and uh, on controversial issues. I'm so glad you put one. in that that caveat because what a lot of people don't realize is that the justices agree much more of the time than mm-hmm. they disagree. But where we see them disagreeing, you mentioned civil rights a few minutes ago. Yeah. Sorry. 
um, any of these individual rights issues. So it might be property rights. It might be abortion. It might be civil rights. It might be rights for people with disabilities or for LGBT people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where we see the really big ideological split. Now, Kennedy, a lot of people said, no, he was never really a liberal, but he had his issues. He Mm -hmm. loved the idea of liberty and he loved the idea of dignity. And he would toss those words out anytime he could. And that's how we got this LGBT jurisprudence, for example, that allows, for example, uh, for marriage equality. But uh, Brett Kavanaugh is not that guy. Brett Kavanaugh is, you know, he's pretty conservative. That's why everybody on that side loves him. And now there are five very solid conservatives. People are saying Chief Justice Roberts is going to become the swing vote. I think five Ah, years ago, all of us would have been like, I don't want to be in that world. But that's the and and that's the those issues, those individual issues to me are the issues that impact the masses the most. Absolutely. And the ones where the public actually sees the court in action. Yes. When the court is working on, you know, Native American issues mm-hmm. or when the court's working on bankruptcy or ERISA. Yeah. It never makes the paper. It's not mm-hmm. particularly interesting. Yeah. But it is very interesting when suddenly housing discrimination might be allowed. Yeah. It is very interesting when suddenly abortions um, you, are banned. And yeah. yeah. And, you yeah. know, people said Trump could never get elected. Do you remember that, Larry? Do you remember that, yeah. Linda? He'll never be yep. elected. Right. Yep. And now people keep saying, I keep being asked about abortion. Come on. It won't really go away. They'll put more limitations on it. It can go away. away. It really can. And and so, Linda, as a lawyer, you're out here practicing. What's making you cringe? What makes me cringe is that even though uh, this candidate says that, for example, Roe versus Wade is settled law, it does not mean settled does not mean that it cannot become later unsettled or changed. Yeah. Right? These these confirmation hearings are a little bit of theater, but without substance. And the two that I got to witness and participate in when I was um, um, counsel for the Senate Judiciary Committee was uh, uh, Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan's confirmation hearings. And what all the candidates have learned since uh, Robert Bork uh, was put forward as a Mm. candidate and, and, and didn't get approved is that they say a great deal about nothing. <laughs> and the, whether you are a D or an R, these candidates probably sound the same. And I think, Larry and Lisa, you would agree with me, yeah. that they come in and they say precedent is very important. I cannot answer specifically that question that you've just asked me about what my personal opinion is on this decision or that decision, mm-hmm. because I can't tell you how I will rule. It will depend upon when the case comes before me. They are so well-prepped that I remember that when uh, candidates, Sotomayor, were sitting there and someone in the audience screamed and jumped up and I thought perhaps there had been a weapon or a gun or something, she did not even turn around and look like the rest of us all did because she was prepared to sit and always stay calmly, staring forward and answering the questions because had she turned around, there would have been a photograph of a shocked expression, which the rest of us in the audience had because of disruptive behavior. So they're not even like real people uh, during this time. And so they have a very strict script. So we are all court geeks and we're all fascinated. I love reading the articles about the courts. So what if you're an average Joe Schmo, don't really know anything about the courts, but you you you're concerned about it because everybody's talking about it. What should you be looking at when the hearings start? What should you mainly be paying attention to? I think that if you want to see controversy, if you want to see somebody challenging Kavanaugh and asking real substantive questions, you're going to want to look for when the Democratic senators are asking him questions. Then if you just want to learn about the guy, the Republicans are going to have lots to say about the guy. They'll probably introduce his mom. They'll probably introduce, you know, his childhood pastor, you know. So if you want to know more about the the nominee as a person, you will get to see that. Mm -hmm. If you want to know more about what is concerning Democrats about this nomination, the questions will be very informative. But as Linda said, the nominee himself is not going to be informative at all. One thing that was a big surprise during the Gorsuch hearings a couple of years ago was that Gorsuch actually got a little testy a couple of times. Um, mm. and, and that was the headline. Like he frowned and he kind of – he looked like they were bugging him with these questions. You don't do that. 
Um, and of course, we've since learned that Gorsuch is kind of a testy kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is going to be more about seeing the political interests play out. So watching the senators will be much more interesting than watching Kavanaugh. So get your popcorn ready. And so politically, <laughs> can the public do anything at this point, Larry, to influence the outcome? People always say, call your senators, bug them. Well, they'll be, they'll, they be, they'll, they'll be asked to call their senators and they will call their senators. And in Pennsylvania, I'm sure thousands will call <laughs> Senator Toomey and it won't make any difference. And thousands will call Senator Casey, who's already said he opposes a nomination and didn't even, you know, meet with with Kavanaugh. So it's really a way to vent vent frustration and for special interest groups to raise money. That's basically, you know, what it you know what it comes down to. Yeah. And, you know, I have four daughters and I, you know, this is like my back in the day stuff now. Back in the day, it wasn't like this. But for their lifetimes, it will be like this because it's a game of chicken. Neither the Republicans nor the Democrats are ever going to say, OK, let's go back to looking at qualifications. It's always going to be about, yeah, I want an ideologue in that seat. Well, what, but what's going to happen is when it happens, you have a president and a Senate from different from different parties or the numbers are different. That's when you're going to get a different a different type of nominee. That's true. And I this agree. is kind of like one of the sail through. And we have an, uh, still an elderly court. We have people who could go out at any point and And President Donald Trump could get another nomination during his his term. And that would be you fill in the blank on that, on that, that part. But that could it would it be a leg- it would be a legacy. It would be a legacy. <laughs> yeah, it definitely. And and because this is Flashpoint, we do have to wrap this up. So I want each of you to give me a 20 second wrap up. And with a prediction, will Kavanaugh be in place by the October term? And what do you think these rulings will are going to look like when it's all said and done at the end of this year? Yes, he will be in place. He will be in place way before the first Monday in October. The justices hold what's called a long conference at the end of September where they look at all the cases that have come in over the summer. He'll be sitting there. He'll be happy. And we're going to see big business winning. And uh, it's going to be David versus Goliath. And Goliath is going to win. Larry? You know, I think he'll, you know, he'll be in place. It'll have an effect on the midterm um, elections. Look, I'm a little more optimistic that maybe you don't know what you're getting, you know, sometimes. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, uh, you know, with David, with David Souter. And, you know, and who would have thought that Justice Roberts, you know, would have been, you know, the deciding you vote to keep Obamacare. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact is, once you get that lifetime appointment and you can't be touched, you, ne- you never know. You never know. And, and Linda, final word. I like Larry's optimism, <laughs> um, but I'm not so optimistic. But I do agree with Lisa and I do agree with Larry that before the midterm elections, he will be confirmed as the next United States Supreme Court Justice. Uh, time will tell how he evolves while he's in the court. But if hindsight is any predictor, I think that he's going to be pro-business. I think that he'll be pro-government against uh, the individual's rights. And I think that we will miss Justice Kennedy. Definitely. I think folks are already missing him and uh his seat isn't quite cold yet. I want to say thank you to Larry Slicers. Thank you to Lisa Tucker. And thank you to Linda Dale Hoffa for appearing on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Pop your popcorn, folks. It's going to be an interesting few weeks. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Next up, a South Jersey dad's moment of joy goes viral. We believe in like the positive vibes, bringing him that type of happiness inside of our hospital room. The whirlwind of good fortune is helping his babies battle with cancer. We'll be right back. Hey guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast. And feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks all. This is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. And one thing that gets Philly residents hot under the collar is a sick child. Born with Down Syndrome, baby Christian had a blood disorder that made him prone to leukemia. And after he was diagnosed, he was so sick, he spent more than a month at CHOP while undergoing chemo. But he finally started to get better. And dad, Kenneth Thompson, got the good news. And guess what he did? He started to dance to singer Sierra's popular song, Level Up. Well, the baby's face lit up and his mom recorded the moment and the video went viral. Sierra even flew to New Jersey to visit the family. 
With me in the studio to discuss the viral video and all the wonderfulness that came because of it is Kenneth Thompson, father of four and founder of the Level Dance Complex in South Jersey. Welcome to Flashpoint. How you doing? I'm doing good. And so you are like just busy. Yes, very. First of all, how's Christian? He's doing well. He's yeah. doing really well right now. He is halfway through treatment. So we are, we just finished the second round. So we're getting ready for the third round going into next week. His chemo. Yes. And he's handling it well. He's handling it like a champ. So let's just back up. Mm-hmm. For folks who had never heard of you, who may not have seen the video, mm-hmm. um, what what was going on with your son and, and, and why were you so happy that day? Uh, well, so basically what happened was his levels uh, went up. So when you get chemo, your number levels in your body go down. So your A&C is what they pay attention to the most. Your A&C, your hemoglobin, your white blood cell counts. is A&C, which is your immune system, it was at zero for 12 days straight. And it should be in the thousands, but they expect it to drop all the way down to zero. Mm-hmm. Because and then, of the chemo. Because of the chemo and then climb back up. Once it climbs back up, we're able to like have a break and go home. And we were in the hospital for 32 days straight. Wow. And once we went into the hospital, we were just going for like a um, an evaluation checkup. His hematologist had seen something in his blood and wanted a second opinion from CHOP, which is why we went to CHOP that day. And once we went, we never went home for the next 32 days. They admitted him immediately and started um, treatment because he has a cancer called AMKL. Mm-hmm. which is a form of leukemia. Yeah, and your son has Down syndrome, yes. and he had a condition mm-hmm. that they predicted that possibly he would have leukemia. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. So that day, uh, his levels went up, and then we shot a video to celebrate. Playing um, Sierra Level yeah. Up, which is a very popular song. Yes. Everybody loves it. Yes. And you, and you were dancing. Yeah, that's what I do. I mean, ironically, it goes with our dance studio, which is Level Dance Complex. So it kind of went hand in hand. And... I tagged the level up challenge. I didn't even know it was a level up challenge. And it just went off the charts after that. Wow. And yeah. you were like, and your baby, he's yes. so cute. Yes. And he was doing the arm movements uh-huh. and looking at you and you were just getting it in. Yeah. He just loves it. He loves dancing. He loves moving. You put on any type of music and he going to start bouncing, like going in. Got it. In him. You're just in him. Yes. And so since that that video, first of all, it got shared mm-hmm. how many times? Every time you check, yeah. it's like more and more views. We're looking at over 30 million views worldwide between wow. all the platforms that it's been on mm-hmm. through Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, you know, different celebrities have seen it, um, like Holly Berry, um, Missy, Ludacris. Wow. Yeah. And so did you have any clue? I had no clue. We were just celebrating for our son. That's, you know, we just wanted to share the fact that he was able to go home for a little bit because we have three other children as well, too. So it was like a celebration for us that we actually get to go home a little bit for the summertime and spend some time with our other children as well because they can't be at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you and your wife had been going back and forth from New Jersey to the CHOP. Mm-hmm. Well, she she stayed Every single day. I would stay at the hospital as well, too. But I would have to go back and forth. Because you got your kids. Yeah. And you got to work. Yeah. Because it costs money to come exactly. across the bridge. Yes. And eat and keep a house and lights on and all <laughs> yes. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes. And so you were just expressing. Um, um, that was a moment, literally yeah. a, a random moment of joy. Yeah, it was. And I was already dancing for him because he we believe in like the positive vibes and bringing him that type of happiness inside of our you know, hospital room to keep that happiness up so that he's, you know, on the up and up and not feeling any type of negativity at all. And we believe that's helping with the process. Yeah, I believe that that happiness heals. Yes. You know, joy heals. And so tell me about some of the the opportunities. So people have seen it. So yes. Big time folk have seen it. Yes. And you've been on a whirlwind ever yes. since. Yes. Um, Devin Stills from the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. He reached out and he has a something called the Still in the Game Foundation at CHOP. His foundation helped us out. Sierra's foundation, Why Not You Foundation, has been helping us out as well, too. I just came back from Los Angeles. The Dancers Against Cancer organization also like gave us a crazy donation of $10,000. Wow. Yeah. They flew me out to L.A. for the Industry Dance Awards. And some big stars were there, too, like Paula Abdul. Debbie Allen was a couple of the stars that were there. Um, which is a major thing. It's been a whirlwind of great gifts and people's positivity. And I think the best thing about it is that people are being inspired about our positivity and and, and how we're uh, taking the entire thing and taking the entire process and not 
like being like a Debbie Downer on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because a lot of pe- a lot of people have kids. I mean, we do a lot of stories on young mm-hmm. people who are suffering health challenges and, yeah. the, and the strain that it puts on the family. Mm-hmm. So explain, I mean, how are you able to keep this positive mindset? Because, I mean, if you were to laundry list some of the stuff you all, yeah. you all are dealing with, this is not, this is heavy stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have we have a, a strong faith background. We believe in God. We believe that that he's going to bring us through everything. He wouldn't have gave us this challenge if we weren't able to handle it. And we want to be that type of inspiration to many people across the world too. Whatever it is that you believe in, just know that there's a higher power or something that's going to give you what you need in order to get through it. So through through the strength that we're given, because we can't do anything on our own, and then the positive support system that we have as well too with our family, uh, my mom, like our church family, like everyone that's been helping us out, and all the people now that are watching us across the world, all these positive vibes help us out. You know, so much people don't even understand because it can get emotional. Because that's your thing. baby. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not just him. It's my wife, my, my other three kids. It's kind of hard to deal with that emotionally up and down. And then I'm being the provider for the family and being the one that brings home the bacon. So it's like, all right, Kenny, like. Yeah, because your game. wife has to be there with your son. 24, yeah. he's one mm-hmm. years old. You gonna want to leave a one year old no. baby in yeah. the hospital by themselves? Exactly. Yeah, never that. Yeah. Yeah. So she's there twenty four seven, and not, it's like she's yeah. not moving <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we there are times where my mom or his godparents will come and they'll um they'll relieve us for a couple hours so we can you know just get some fresh air, go do do a couple things that we need to handle um for the house or the studio just to get out of the hospital because being stuck in there in the same four walls for days and days and days can get pretty taxing on, mm-hmm. on, on anyone, really. Yeah, and now he's home. Yeah, he's home for a couple weeks. We go back in next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but the prognosis is pretty positive. Yes, he's in remission right now. Thank God. Which is good. So they don't see any leukemia, but they still have to treat him for it um, because uh, studies shown that once you're given chemo, uh, after the first round that it could possibly come back. Mm. Uh, I think the most unique part about his particular cancer is that he has a 90% survival rate. Wonderful. Because yeah. he has Down syndrome. Really? Yes. So the Down syndrome is a blessing. Yes. If he did not have Down syndrome, this particular cancer, he would have a 30% survival rate, which is crazy. So, <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Right. My my daughter, she's 14. She had a friend um, that passed away earlier this year that had the same exact cancer, but he didn't have Down syndrome. And he passed away um, earlier this year. So she kind of, it kind of hit her a little hard, but she, but once we told her that, you know, he's going to be okay, he has a 90% chance, not a 30% chance. She was fine. Yeah. And so your family is a prayerful family. Yes. And um and you also had launched a fundraiser online yes. Yes. with with modest I had goals. To. <laughs> yeah, and and then now it's kind yeah. of blown up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean our goal was like somewhere like around, I I did the math. I said, "Okay, the first week we were spending we spent like a little over $600 within like a few days and I'm just like, this this is extra expenses that we didn't plan on spending." So, I said, "Let me uh create t-shirts that say fight Christian on them." Mm-hmm. Um, I think people will buy t-shirts but some people didn't want a t-shirt they just wanted to donate so mm-hmm. we created a donate link on our website and people just started blessing us and, and it started pouring in and we've got more than what we asked for so I just we just needed like a, a few thousand just to <laughs> <laughs> like we just need a little bit of help. yeah we just needed a few thousand just to get through you know I didn't I don't want people thinking like I need a hundred thousand dollars nothing like that but they was just tossing it in so I'm like All right, I'll take it <laughs> yeah but what we want to do is anything that after this process anything that's left over from that we would like to donate to um to helping cancer research as well too yeah so you have positive intentions for the rest of the money yeah for sure yeah, yeah. and what do you think this is a lesson this is because I, I believe like yeah. when, when you see when you have you know challenges when things happen to you mm-hmm. um and you keep the faith mm-hmm. like it just seemed like boom yeah. in a second yeah I mean, we've had so many uh, challenges, my wife and I. Um, we actually started a YouTube to where we're actually starting to tell our story from mm-hmm. the beginning so people can understand why we have the strength that we have now. We've been tested throughout life, even though we're young, mm-hmm. but we've been through some some crazy stuff in life at very, very young ages, both of us, 
which has helped us prepare for this moment right here, right now. Um, and I think that if not given those tests previously, then we might not be ready for something like this. Like mm-hmm. you got to kill the lion. You got to kill the bear before you can fight Goliath. Mm-hmm. So we, we believe in that strongly and we're prepared. You know? I can see. And, yeah. and uh, the tools are coming to you yeah. to help you with the with the battle of your life. And so what's next for you guys? Next month, I'm actually going to be speaking at an event called Funding Futures New York. That event is um, pushed towards cancer research and research towards to help people with Down syndrome live longer, healthier lives, Mm -hmm. especially um, the ones that develop Alzheimer's by the age of 40 and pass away. Uh, People with Down syndrome, they, they, they develop Alzheimer's. It's a common thing. So they want me to speak and use my story to help raise the funds for, uh, for all cancer research, of course, but also um, dealing with people with Down syndrome and how to decrease the, um, the death of. Yeah. People people don't really think about that. Yeah. So your, your son had, double like he was literally had yeah. double whammy boom boom yeah. and then but one whammy actually was good for the other one yes yeah <laughs> it's like yeah it's crazy and i mean like in down syndrome I, we've learned so much about down syndrome mm-hmm. as well too trisomy 21 is the actual medical term for yes it. Mm-hmm. so for those that don't know what trisomy 21 means it's basically you have each person each human has 46 chromosomes um the average human actually anyone with down syndrome has 47 chromosomes so the 21st chromosome is actually three copies of the same chromosome. So you yeah. get 23 from the mom, 23 from the dad. And then between me and my wife and making him, somebody added in an extra chromosome. Threw an extra one you in know, there just extra for good one. measure. Yeah, yeah, you know. And then boom, he he became, you know, something special. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have children with special needs. Yes. And our country has really changed its view yeah. on children with special needs because 50 years ago, they would put them someplace and treat them different kind of ways. Now it's like, yo, this is a pro- member of our family yeah. and people are doing so much with their yes. lives. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they have programs now and you're able to live a very independent life if that's what you want to do. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the, the craziest part is, is that there are what we part of our goal is we want yeah. women um, and not just women, but any parent that is going through something like this, that get the test that mm-hmm. may um, know that your son or daughter may be a special needs, you know, throughout the pregnancy. I mean, there are doctors out there that try to persuade women to aborting the child. And we don't want that. I mean, we, we're, we're pro-life. And I don't think any woman that is especially going through a pregnancy sh- should want to have to hear that. It's hard enough to to hear that your your son or daughter may um, may not be able to be like everyone else, I guess, the average person, mm-hmm. you know. So part of our goal is to to help women and help uh, fathers as well to uh, deal and cope with these type of things, these types of situations in order to have a better outcome for your family and, and be a little bit better prepared and not be persuaded to abort if you don't necessarily have to. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah and to yeah. deal with it because it takes a lot of mental fortitude yes. and resilience yeah for sure to be able to get yourself in the right mindset yeah. and will to, mm-hmm. to to deal with whatever you have to deal with for sure yeah and so do you see yourself now as a role model for a lot of parents Definitely. i mean you got you Definitely. look so young yeah you know i mean yeah. for you to have this and to have four children yeah. um and to be able to lead this family and mm-hmm. lead a business at the same time yeah. how's business business is good Business is good. It's getting. I mean, we've been getting even more calls in uh, for people that want to come and join um, the company, which is amazing. Which is what we've been pushing for for so long. We've only been um, around for two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've had my company since two thousand nine, but our dance studio we we built it in twenty sixteen. So the, going into our third year, um, it's it's been crazy. Like people have been coming in, calling in, wanting to join. They've seen us on TV and they want to be a part of the movement. I think more so they love the story. Parents want to put their kids in a positive environment. They want to be around positive people in a positive atmosphere. Yeah, that is beautiful. And so tell people about your business. A lot of folks live in South Jersey. Yeah. What we have is uh, what we call like a pre-professional dance studio. So we're not like the tip, the, your actual dance studio that's like where there's a recital at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Our goal is more so to help children build to the professional level. Because mm. um, I worked in uh, studios for many, many years. And... What I find is that a lot of the teenagers, after they graduate high school... There's no place for them to go. There's no place for them to go. Yeah. They they go to college, 
do whatever, and then they want to get back into dance, but they've lost so much training in between going to school and things of that nature where you're null and void at this point. It's, you, you don't even have it <clears throat> too much of a shot. So if you can continue that and teach them and give them at least the option if that's what they really want to do and keep them from five years old all the way to their 18 and even beyond that. I have students that are 24 years old, 25 years old that are looking to go to the professional level. Wow. So which is which is great. So how do we teach how to get there? We bring in some of the best choreographers that work with Janet Jackson, Beyonce, Chris Brown. I saw um, some of y'all videos on YouTube. Yeah. I was like, they you getting it. Yeah, we really go in. Yeah. We really go in. And so tell people your website and where they can get those really cool uh Christian shirts. Yes, you can go to www.theleveldance.com backslash fight Christian. Christian with a K. Yeah. And you could you could check out the dance studio information, also those cool t shirts. And you can also search if you haven't seen the video, just yeah. hashtag uh fight Christian yep. and you'll it'll pop up. For sure. Yeah, so thank you so much to you, you, Kenneth, and congratulations to your family. I will be praying for y'all. Thank you so much. For Christians' continued recovery. Yes. Uh, and the bounce back, the level up is real oh, yeah. here. It's going on. It's going in. Yes. Th- thank you for coming on Flashpoint. Thank you. Next up, they're giving kids a superpower, writing. What good is being a math or science whiz if you can't write about what you discover? Philadelphia nonprofit's impact on kids in their upcoming festival, dedicated to it all. We'll be right back. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community. Here's a superpower for you, communicating with clarity. Mighty Writers is a nonprofit putting the power of the pen in the hands of Philadelphia area youth. Literacy is the mission. The organization reached over 3,000 Philly kids last year and is now suiting up for its four-day writing festival, Mighty Fest. With us in studio to tell us more about their ongoing effort is Executive Director Tim Whitaker. Tim, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so for those of our listeners who've never heard of Mighty Writers, please explain what it is you guys do. In in a nutshell, we teach kids how to write. We've been doing it for, we're coming up on our 10th year now. Congratulations. Thank you. We do it at um, seven different locations, six in Philadelphia neighborhoods, one in Camden, New Jersey, which is brand new. And we do it through an after-school program at all those locations and then writing workshops nights and weekends. And we do SAT prep and mentorship. So we tackle the literacy crisis from a lot of different angles. Yeah. And so kids come in at what, all kinds of, of literacy levels? They, they come in at all different levels. You know, we're, we're um, focused on kids that need the help the most. So mm. we're in, uh, in North Philadelphia. We're in West Philadelphia. We're in South Philadelphia. We have a bilingual site in the Mexican community, and we're in Camden. So we see that a lot of the schools don't teach writing anymore. You know, it's, it's math, science, standardized tests, and writing is like back of the bus somewhere. So we think writing is a critical skill. So that's the, that's the gap we're trying to fill. Yeah, and talk about this issue of literacy and writing because having clarity of thought. I mean, we, we journalists, journalists here, right. you know, and you think about how important that is to be able to make arguments to to be able to uh, advocate for others. I mean, clarity of thought comes through writing in many ways. It comes in, in in so many ways. We, you know, we're not really trying to turn the kids that we're working with into professional writers. There are easier ways to make a living, as you know. Exactly. <laughs> but um, we do want them to have the skills to be able to write an email, to apply for a job, to apply to college, to write an essay to express themselves. And, 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 and when they do that, we see their self-esteem soar. Mm. We see them uh, begin to, their personalities begin to change. They get more positive, more energized. They start to see success. And, you know, we're, we love math and science, but what good is being a math or science whiz if you can't write about what you discovered, you know? So we're all about it. That's what I'm talking about. And so you've seen quite a bit of success with your young people. Tell me some of the success stories. Well, you know, we see all the kids as successful. So we've had a kid go to Harvard. We've had kids go to Swarthmore, kids go to Penn. And, you know, we've also had kids. That, and these were kids who had trouble. These are kids that came to us pretty much behind the curve. Yeah. So 
Um, We're really excited about those kids. We're also excited about kids that are going to community college who got good jobs out of high school. So, you know, there are many levels of success and we don't really discriminate about yeah. what that success looks like. Success is being able to do what you desire to do. And, and feel good about yourself. Exactly. So the awareness, I got to, and I was telling Tim off mic here, I was like, you guys are like blowing up. You know, I think the, um, I think we're, we work really hard. So that helps a lot. And we're really ambitious. And I think that people in Philadelphia, moms and dads, they see that right, how important writing is. Mm. And so, you know, we have no problem attracting kids. We never have. Um, And then the other thing is I think Philly kids, you know, I love Philly kids because you can't grow up in the city without having great stories. You know, it's a nutty city, weird city. And, uh, you know, kids have uh, stories to tell about what they see on their block, what they see at the playground, what they see in their homes. And they're hysterical telling these stories. So, you know, what we do is try to get them to be able to tell the stories on paper, to structure them. And once they can do that, then, you know, their confidence just really grows. And Mighty Fest is an outgrowth of all that. We decided that we really wanted to celebrate the wonder of Philly kids. So we thought, well, how can we do that? So that's what Mighty Fest is. We have a big carnival on the last Saturday of September in front of the Franklin Institute where we have a lot of writing programs. We have cursive writing, which is a really popular Yes. Deal. Yeah. How to write your revolution, which is really how to, how to create a protest sign that's going to get some attention. Real simple kind of thing like that. And how to write a resume, of course, and lots of fun stuff, really. like much- How to write a protest sign. Yeah, I love exactly. that. That's so Philly. <laughs> that is so Philadelphia. It really is. It really is. <laughs> And so tell me who the the Mighty Fest is for. I mean, because you guys service a lot of kids. Can other kids come? Yes, it's for all Philly kids. Friday night, we have a soul music dance party to sort of kick it off. That's over 21. And then we have the carnival on Saturday during the day. Then Saturday evening, we have our keynote speaker is Nicole Hannah-Jones. Love her. She's unbelievable. Writes for the New York Times Magazine, writes on education disparity and discrimination, all the things we care about. Then Sunday... We're having a gospel breakfast at Gerard College. It's a tribute to Dixie Hummingbirds. Yes. So, you know, we're really excited about this. There's a lot going on. Tell us where we can donate and where folks can help out. Well, MightyWriters.org is where everything is about Mighty Fest and about where to donate to Mighty Writers and lots of other information. Yeah. And give me the dates again for Mighty. The dates are September 26th to September 30th. Wonderful. That's the four-day Mighty Fest. You can check them out at MightyWriters.org. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tim Jim. Whitaker, Executive Director. I can't wait to see all the superpowers expressed on paper Great. from Philly Kids. Can't wait to see you there. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter at Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. You can subscribe to the Flashpoint Podcast for exclusive content using the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms you use to get your podcasts. Just search Flashpoint KYW. There's an issue that makes you hot under the collar? Let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As a late Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall once said, you do what you think is right and let the law catch up. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs>